I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. gentlemen to a special birthday edition of weekends with Waz on the ringer podcast network of course i'm big Waz, aka wazzy lambray joined by a very special guest today my friend of the deseret news sarah todd what's going on sarah i'm just gearing up for the trade deadline <laughs> i love it um you know I love having my friends up here to dish on the teams that they cover that they're most close to. Because, again, like, it's hard for us who are not with the team every day to be as close to what's going on as you are. And, obviously, I think, like, I feel like you're one of the most plugged-in people with Utah. That being said, it's a kind of crazy time uh, (laughs) for the Jazz right now. Um, Injuries, of course, have decimated them. But they're something like 3-11 and in their last 14 games. Am Am I getting that messed up? Yeah, the, but before they won the last two, uh, they went four and twelve through all of January. Lord it have was, mercy! It was a bad month for them, man. <laughs> NBA Finals teams with NBA Finals aspirations don't generally go four and fourteen or four and twelve for any particular stretch. So, obviously, a bad sign. I wanted to talk about them today because I have a hard time quitting the Jazz. After they let me down last playoffs, I still was like, they got all of the stuff to make a run this year. I talked to Donovan Mitchell before the season started. He literally said, conference finals or bust. This season is a failure. 
if the Jazz don't go to the conference finals, but they've sort of hit this rough patch. What would you mainly attribute this to besides, obviously, the COVID and the injuries? Yeah, the COVID and the injuries are a big part of it. But I think that through the stretch when they were dealing with COVID and injuries, and right now they're just like barely starting to come out of it. What was highlighted was their biggest weaknesses. Cause like, as guys start going down, the things that you have problems with before are just going to like shine even brighter. And so perimeter defense has been a problem for the jazz for as long as we can probably remember. I mean, the, all of the playoff appearances that they have had under Quinn Snyder perimeter defense has been a problem. It's been the rockets, the warriors, Denver, the Clippers, and all of it has been because they haven't been versatile and because they haven't been able to handle the point of attack. And that is still a problem for the Jazz. And so I think that when you think about the problems, it's like, will they be able to handle that in the playoffs once again? And then also what we see is they cannot play if they don't have Rigo Bear and they cannot play if they don't have Donovan Mitchell. And the same could be said about most teams if you take their two best players, two all-stars away. But like they they don't have like the depth of a Phoenix Suns who can plug in a guy if maybe a guy's down with injury. They don't have that. Right. You know, Quinn Snyder, for as great and successful as he's been in Utah, he has one of the lowest profiles in the league for a coach. Like, you just don't hear from the guy. So I wonder, what's the sense of how he feels about how things are going? Yeah, he definitely has a low profile. He has a low profile in Utah. Like the guy is private as hell. Like he does not, you know, you're not going to see a feature written about like Quinn Snyder and his family. That's not happening. Um, I think that you can tell when Quinn is frustrated because like post games, he, you know, his his hands shake a little bit more. Oh, wow. he takes off his glasses and puts them on like repeatedly when he's extra frustrated. Like he doesn't know exactly what to do with his hands or glasses. And he's been doing that a lot lately, but I mean, he, he just came out of COVID protocol today. And so he's been gone for a week, but before that, you know, there, there were times during the stretch where he's like, listen, it doesn't matter who we've got on the court. We have to defend like that has to happen. And like the fact that guys aren't focused and they're not defending is a problem. And so like he, he gets most frustrated on like non-effort plays. He does, he could care less um, uh, if the guys shoot the ball and it goes in, honestly, but he gets really pissed off when guys aren't putting in effort on the other end. Well, they were third in defensive efficiency last year. And I think right now, last I checked, they're about 14 mid table. Yeah. That's just not going to get it done as much as they've, you know, they've traditionally they've been a defensive first team. That's what their calling card was for the last like three, four years. Then last year they became this sort of juggernaut on offense. And I feel like a lot of times when that happens with teams and players, they start to lean into offense more because shooting three, making threes and dunks and all of that. That's what gets you on sports center. That's what gets you FaceTime. Executing perfectly crisp rotations generally doesn't. And it feels like they've shot away from that identity. Yeah. It feels like, I think that, you know, Mike Conley has been one of the guys the last few weeks that has kind of 
been a proponent of getting back to what that feeling was last season because yeah, it feels obviously it feels good when you're hitting daggers and dudes faces, you know, and you guys are hitting 20, 23 threes a night, right? Like right. that stuff feels good. But you know, the last couple of weeks you hear Mike Conley, he's, you know, 34 years old, he's diving on the floor for loose balls and he's like running into screens and stuff. And he's like, right now we need to be excited about a good screen right now. We need to be excited about an offensive rebound. Like those are the plays that we need to be excited about. Cause like the other stuff, even early in the season before they hit that rough patch in January, like the jazz just didn't like feel good or exciting. Okay. Uh, There was just something that felt a little off. And I think that maybe they needed to kind of get smacked in the face a little bit so they can get back to, you know, exactly what you were saying that we had, they had last season. There's, you know, I feel like if this team wasn't in Utah, there would be a lot more chatter around the situation, right? Um, and we're going to get into Rudy and Donovan in a minute. We'll get spicy in a minute. But I want to talk about the Danny Ainge of it all because this is his first year in charge. Obviously, he's really close friends with the owner and all indications are that he's got a lot of sway and influence in decision-making And he hasn't put his imprint on the team yet. So I feel like guys have to be feeling that part of it with new management and sort of not knowing where they stand with the new group. Um, What's age been like throughout this whole process? It's got to suck probably to have a jazz beat writer on here with you right now and for me to be like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird, man, because like, you know, if Danny Ainge wanted to come in and just like be a part of the basketball world again, like they could have hired him on as like a senior consultant. Right. But they gave him the title of like CEO of all of basketball. (laughs) That's a, a title that didn't exist before. And a title that feels very big. Like they didn't give him the Pobo title. Uh, and they still have a general manager. And so it feels like Ainge has a lot of sway, but how that works, I'm, I don't know because like the only interaction the reporters have had with Danny Ainge has been his introductory press conference back in December. And, and the, and Ryan Smith, the owner and Ainge, and even Justin Zanuck, mostly it felt like spearheaded by Ryan Smith. We're trying to sort of push this narrative that, you know, they're operating as like a startup tech company that everything is collaborative and like (laughs) everything happens in the room together. And like, there is no hierarchy, but like, that's not how basketball works. You know, someone's got to make the call to Ryan and say, this is what, this is the last word. Someone, if things go bad, someone's going to fall on a sword and it's not, it's not a collaborative sword. Right. And so I don't know how the Ainge thing works. And I've got to think that if I don't know, there's other people that don't know. And there's probably Mm. players that are feeling the same way. Like, I don't know how this works either. And so it's, that is a little bit of a strange drop in the pool that has made things a little weird this season. Well, you hear, you know, I've heard some snarky remarks. Yeah. He's the part-time GM with all the power. Like you hear that, like he's kind of there, but he's kind of not. It's so strange, and, you know, the reason why I bring it up is because you mentioned it when we got on the call. We're right ahead of the trade deadline, and who's 
doing that? Are the Jazz trying to make a move? What are you hearing about what they're doing to upgrade this roster? Because again, it feels like it's either now or never with this group. It does feel like that. Like no matter what's going to happen, like you said, we'll get into like Donovan and Rudy stuff. Like no matter what happens with those guys, like the thing is, is that you, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. And so you have to push all the chips in when you got these guys in their prime and the window felt like it was last season. And so this might be the last window that you have. And like Mike Conley's still playing great. And like, that's not going to father time is undefeated. And so that's not going to keep happening forever. And so you just got to push all the chips in. Then Joe Ingles blows out his knee, tears his ACL. He's done. That really changes the dynamic of what they're able to do. And that happens, you know, a week before the trade deadline, that doesn't make things easy. And because I think that Joe Ingles was uh, pretty high on that trade block and that they were going to try to move him to be able to bring in maybe a wing defender, defender, maybe a two-way guy. But like now you might have to package picks in there with Joe just to offload the contract. So you're not paying $30 million in luxury tax for a guy to sit on the bench. Mm. And so they've got a couple of other roster spots open, but there are, there are questions like is Hassan Whiteside going to be good enough for a few minutes in the playoffs, or do you need to get another center to come in behind Gobert? Are you going to be able to play small ball with Rudy Gay? Or is he like not athletic enough to handle what's going to be thrown at him in the playoffs? They've got, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Joe Ingles was like the backup ball handler when those guys aren't on the floor. Joe Ingles isn't there anymore. Trent Forrest, who's on a two-way contract, they would have to give him a standard deal now if they want him to plug in for a few minutes. So there's so many moving pieces and so many things that they really should address. And they've got less capital now without the Joe Ingles health. Right. And so they lose a key gog um, last week tough but he said he's coming back he's not you know this isn't a career ending thing he's gonna be back he's not retiring um as per my man Tim Bontemps uh but excuse me not Tim Bontemps um Tim McMahon Ben McMahon um shouts to the Hoop Collective look I feel like (laughs) I had you I had you come up here today because the Rudy and Donovan thing is back to very high levels of spice. Um, your recall, obviously, because you're over there. I think it was about two years ago. We got the first rumors and grumblings about, well, maybe Donovan Mitchell isn't that happy. And you saw maybe he would be open to a trade or maybe it would be this. And then, of course, the world blamed Rudy Gobert for a global pandemic, which was ridiculous. Um, and that whole awkwardness and then I remember there was a time of kumbaya where everybody was like everything's fine folks actually I seem to remember Sarah you were one of the people like calm down everything's okay yes they don't you know go on banana boats together in the off season but they're (laughs) fine but recently the spice is back up um and Rudy's talking about playing with a purpose he's quoted as to saying when you watch the Warriors and the Suns play, they're playing with passion and purpose and their guys care about stopping the guy in front of them. He mentioned Devin Booker by name about how hard Devin Booker plays and how he cares about it on defense. And I'm just like, huh, <laughs> huh, to just point to other teams and say specifically how they're exceeding in ways 
or succeeding, excuse me, in ways that the Jazz aren't, that felt like a shot across the bow to Donovan Mitchell. It definitely didn't feel like it wasn't a shot. (laughs) (laughs) uh, A couple things there, like... I do think that things get overinflated from the outside about Donovan and Rudy. I do think that like Donovan has sort of like a, a quick temper, like he reacts very quickly uh, and needs a minute to cool down. I think that's that that's what happened back when COVID broke out and you heard a lot of stuff about their relationship. He's, he's really mad at first and then he kind of steps back. Uh, it's what happened when, um, the medical staff told him he couldn't play in game one against Memphis last year. Uh, he reacted very quickly to that, took a step back and, and then it turned out that he was not ready to go. Like he was injured. Right. And so he, he is a little bit reactionary when it comes to stuff like that. But I think that uh, there's a few things like, it's not like Rudy's wrong. Right. Like, He's not the proof is Don- in the pudding. Right. And Donovan Mitchell himself has been talking about it at least, you know, three seasons now that I've been here that he needs to be better on defense in order for this team to succeed. And so like Donovan is able to say it, but it's one of those things that's like, yeah, man, I can say it, but you don't get to like compare me to Devin Booker out on in the media. Right. Like that doesn't feel great. It doesn't look great. Um, I think that, you know, image is really important to Donovan. And I think that mm. the image of like being a winner is important. I think that the, you know, West finals or bust is an expectation, not just from Donovan, but it's the expectation from the outside of this team. Like anything less would be a failure of this team if they continue to flame out in first or second round. But I think that like beyond on the court image is probably important to Donovan. And I think we can go back all the way to the rookie race against Ben Simmons And like, that is a guy that he is going to be compared to throughout his career, along with a guy like Devin Booker, whether or not Donovan Mitchell likes that or whether or not the comparison is fair, he's going to be compared to him. And Ben Simmons not getting along with a teammate and wanting out of his situation (laughs) and looking a certain way for trying to push himself out. Mm has not looked good for Ben Simmons. And I think that Donovan is probably pretty aware of how that looks. And so I don't think that Donovan wants to look like the guy that's going to push himself out and like be hated on because of that. And so I think that it really depends on what this team is able to do. If they continue to lose, I think that he'll be, he would be able to sort of say, I want out of this situation because I want to be a winner. Mm. But like, are you a winner if you're trying to go like, just like get up shots next to Julius Randle in New York, right? Yeah. And so I think that the landing spot, the situation in Utah and like how that's going to make Donovan Mitchell look will really play into this. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. 
But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. I want want to dig a little bit deeper into the Rudy dynamic because from a distance, it seems pretty obvious what Rudy Gobert's deal is, meaning I do all the thankless shit that wins us games that isn't glamorized. Um, and I do it consistently and I set hard ass screens and I roll really hard to the rim and I barely touch the rock. And I'm the only reason we're not a fucking turnstile on defense. Okay. <laughs> like I play a major fucking role on this team and it feels like Donovan is sort of the center of gravity. And I can understand, because, look, I'll be the first person to say, I've said some things about Rudy in the past because it's like the crying about All-Star. And, you know, I got it on good authority that he's literally going to the Utah statisticians for extra blocks and, and rebounds and all of that. Like, that type of shit gets on my nerves. But you can't take away the fact that he does a thankless job and he's doing it at 110% every night. And I can understand why he's like, yo, everybody's jerking this dude off. If he's so great, why is our effort lacking? Why isn't he showing up in the ways that his peers are, like Donovan, um, like, uh, excuse me, Devin Booker, et cetera, et cetera? I kind of understand it. What's Donovan's problem with Rudy? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's like uh, something that can go both ways. Like, Rudy saying all those things, like none of that's going to be incorrect, but Donovan could turn around and be like, you know, we lose six possessions a game because you're in the backcourt, like bitching to the officials, like Mm. run back where you're supposed to be so that you can space us out. That's the reason that you're down there. Right. Right. Like there, they could both like back and forth on like, you should do this better. I think that what adds to sort of the Rudy thing too is like, not only is he doing so much on the court, but he's also like so misunderstood off the court. (laughs) And there's like, you know, him being like, uh, you know, an international guy and like 
you mentioned like the crying after all-star thing, like people are going to remember that and they're going to think like, Oh, you were crying. Cause you didn't get an all-star spot, which in my opinion would have been fine. But you know, he also had just gotten off the phone with his mom who like really wanted that for him. And like, he grew up like in the projects in France and like incredible poverty. And for her to be like, I wanted this for you as a touchstone to show how far you've come. Like that would make any grown man cry, Sure, you know? Absolutely. And so like, he's also like one of the most self-reflective players that I've ever covered, like in the 10 years of covering the league. And I think that guys of that sensitivity guys of, you know, of his ilk, that's that you're not in a part of like the NBA fraternity, right? Mm. Like he's not a part of the cool guy group. And so I think that that probably eats at him in a way that maybe will make him say things like, listen, look at Devin Booker. He's improved on defense. Right. Mm. When like, maybe the real thing that he wants to say is like, I want everybody to care as much as I do. That's not the cool thing to say in a locker room. Right. Right. And so it's a a lot of different things. And man, because, you know, I do want to get you out of here. Um, I feel like if the Utah jazz flame out and say the second round this year, um, heads are going to roll, whether that be a breakup of the team, some trades, whatever, something's going to happen. Um, What's your sense about where this is all going if they don't reach the goals that they've set out for themselves? Yeah, I've said this a few times this year that, like, I think that Quinn Snyder is an incredibly smart coach. I think that he's really good. I think that he's well-respected throughout the coaching community. But even still, I think he's probably underrated. And all of that being said, five years in the playoffs and basically no results higher than first or second round, like, you might start there, right? Mm. Especially, especially if the Jazz go into it healthy because he hasn't really had, like, fully healthy roster. But if the Jazz go into the playoffs healthy and they still flame out, at that point, you kind of have to start, you know, thinking top to bottom. Like, is Danny Ainge the one that made the calls at the trade deadline or is Justin Zanuck? And which one of them is going to pay for it? Is Quinn Snyder going to be able to make it work with this group? What if we blow it up and it's a different group? Do we want Quinn Snyder at the helm? And then Mm. you go down to the roster and it's like, are we going to blow it up? Or are we going to pick off around the edges and see if we can rebuild it? And so I think it's, I think it's top down that you have to start looking at the team. Yeah. It feels that way because, you know, when Ryan Smith got hired and I mean, I hired when he bought the team and he was saying all the right things and, you know, Utah's not obviously it's a famously small market. We know what the luxury tax implications are, but he came out and he said, Yo, first thing I'm doing is on, I'm giving Rudy $200 million, which sounds great when you're coming in and it's all optimistic and everything is sunny and rosy. Then a couple of years, you don't make it past the second round and you start looking at your tax bill and you're like, Whoa, what are we really doing here? So it feels like, again, like that this is that this is do or die. And, you know, I want to know, like, if they succeed, why do you think that that will be? That's a good question. I think that, I think that success this season 
really, really depends on what they're able to do this week. Like, I don't think that the team as is, is going to succeed. I think they need more. And so whether or not they bring in someone that can really shore things up is going to really make a difference. And I, and I do have some doubts about that because Ingles isn't the capital that he was when he was healthy. And so whatever deal they're able to make. And also like if they sign Daniel house for the rest of the season, like how they move and change the rotation and how that is going to play out in the playoffs. I think it's really going to matter. And so I think if we're looking at who is going to be the reason for their success, it will be Quinn and the players because making it happen on the court obviously is the end all be all. And if they if they're able to do that and make it work on the court, then we can look back and say like, all right, well, was it Justin Zanuck or was it Danny Ainge? Right. Mm. But I don't think that people care as much about that. Like that's kind of a thankless job too. Right. Like the guy who actually made the call and made the deal, but like the deal only works if the guy can like work with the team, work within the system. And so I, I really do that. Think that if they're successful, It'll be because Quinn and the players put it together. Well, you know, we've, it, they, they feel very similar to Milwaukee last year, where it's just like, we get it, you're good, but you got to do something in the postseason. It's kind of put up or shut up. I'll be watching them very closely. I was really bullish on them coming into the season. I feel like when they've had all their guys, they still looked pretty good. Um, and I understand that it's an 82 game season and, we get it, all of those caveats, but man, I'm I'm very fascinated to see what will happen. And yeah, I'm gonna be checking them Rudy post game comments for the rest of the season. Yeah. I promise you that. Yeah. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Deseret News, Sarah Todd, you're the goat. Um, tell people where they can find you. You can find me on all the socials at NBA Sarah. Uh, read my stuff at Deseret.com. Love it. Thank you, Sarah. Be good. Thanks, Waz.